at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I, look, I, I know there's a lot of significant stuff going on. I know we've got the COVID numbers that are up. I know this is, believe me, I know this is the anniversary of January 6th and the attack on the Capitol. We will have a lot to discuss with that coming up. But I want to I want to kind of start on a little bit of a lighter note. <laughs> Why do you start on a lighter note? No, I, I want to start on a lighter note because there's all these serious things. But it was actually, there was something that happened this morning that kind of made me smile. And maybe some of you will relate to it. Every once in a while, there's there's kind of like the, the it's like the little things in life. You know, you, I don't know, you go and you pull your jeans out of the dryer and you're kind of getting ready to put them on and you reach into the pocket and there's a $20 bill that you'd completely forgotten about. Right? That's, for some reason, I think those $20 bills are just absolutely the best, That just the kind of found money that you have ended up forgetting about and things of the like. And, and every once in a while, it is the small things. And I had one of those moments today and it really caused me to, to think. See, um... Up until, well, I, I tend to drive cars in, into the ground, and um, I, I, from about 2010 to 2017, I, I drove drove the same car. And all my friends had newer cars, and they had all the bells and whistles at the time, which are which, is, which are standard now. You know, the the backup cameras and the things like that. And I I always thought I could do without that stuff. But the one thing that I really loved is I had a couple friends that had heated seats, and I can remember, you know, we we on a cold. Evening, you know, you're going down to see a basketball game or something, and my buddy Jack would pick me up, and I'd get in the car, and you'd fire up the heated seats, and I thought, boy, this is this is really kind of nice. So I, I had gadget envy, is how I described it, and I always remember, you know, when I bought uh, a new car in it was I think it was 2017. One thing I had to have was heated seats, but there were all these other things that were on there that I think these were kind of like these bells and whistles that it was like, eh, I I don't know. I mean, I really wanted the heated seats, but I don't need the, these other sorts of things. Well, I had kind of an awakening th- this morning, and, and actually I've been thinking about this for the last several months. Last January, I bought another new car, and in this particular case, uh, in order to get a couple features on the car, in particular this navigation system, I have a Honda SUV, and for the new Hondas, this is mine's like a 2020 and beyond, if you want a navigation system, uh, you, you have to buy, like in the SUV, you have to buy the high-end package, the, the touring package, because if you buy anything other than that, they, they don't come with it. And I think the thinking is that these these are redundant because people can use your cell phones and plug them in, and you can use you know the the Apple stuff, and you you don't need to have the navigation system in the car. I I, I like to have that there, so I decided okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to spend the extra money. I can afford it. Spend the extra money. I'm going to get the navigation system. But what that meant is when you upgrade to this this edition that in the case of my case with the Honda SUV it's it's the touring edition not only do you get the navigation but you get a couple other features as well a feature that i never thought that i would like or never thought that i would need it's a heated steering wheel so 
I, I've been noticing this as it has gotten cold over the last month or two, but particularly on these these cold mornings. And I had an appointment somewhere at eight fifteen this morning, so it, it's it's cold. You, you go out, the car sits in the garage, but it's still cold. And then you pull out, you put on that, you punch that button on that heated steering wheel, and within like thirty seconds, the thing is is just warm. And I'm thinking, man, I really like this. I would never have thought to to spend money to buy it on its own. I, I just wouldn't have done it. And I admit that I always think of this as kind of being this, this I would have thought of this as being this, like this kind of crazy luxury. And, and maybe, maybe it is. But it's one of these little things that I thought, man, now that I have this heated steering wheel, I, I'm not sure I could ever go back because this is just one of these features that has nothing to do with safety. It has nothing to do with drivability or any stuff like that. It's not like the side mirror cameras or things. It's just this silly heated steering wheel, but it it's nice. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, my guess is, over the years, you have you know purchased different kind of cars, and you've seen different features that come with the cars, a lot of which maybe you thought were sort of excessive or unnecessary. Maybe it's backup cameras or things like that. But now that you have it, do you think you could ever go back? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, for me, I got to admit, I, I also felt the same thing, and maybe I made this argument on the radio five, six, seven, eight years ago. I always thought, okay, these backup cameras, who really needs them? You know, you just you turn around, you, you look. But I admit, I still turn around and look. But having these backup cameras, I, I think, is a godsend. But on these cold days, I admit, I like the heated steering wheel. 855-616-1620. Are there features like that that you sit there and say, gee, I didn't really think I needed this or wanted it. But now that I have it, hmm, I like it. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, it's, it, I would have never spent money, extra money, to upgrade to like a heated steering wheel. I, I just wouldn't have done it, uh, you know, if it was just a, a separate sort of thing. The last car I purchased, though, because there were, it, it just came as part of this package that I ended up getting. And I have to tell you, now that I have it, I just, it'd be tough to go back. My wife's car, and if she's listening, sorry about this, darling, you know, she she doesn't have it on hers. And, you know, when I when I get in it to drive that car, I go to push the button for the heated steering wheel. There's no heated steering wheel there, and I do kind of end up missing it. 855-616-1620. I'm sure there's other features like that, like the heated steering wheel, that you can relate to. Phil in Cedarburg. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Phil. Okay, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm completely envious of my wife because she has it on her Chevy Traverse. I think it is great. Jeff, hands-free calling is a must-have now. Yeah, that's extremely interesting. No question about that. Um, Jeff, my husband has a Silverado from 2008, so it isn't new. But when he bought it, it had heated seats, and he made such. And I made such a big stink about it. You know, why in the world does a pickup need heated seats? And let me tell you, I love getting into his pickup truck, summer or winter. I put them on for my back. I don't think we would ever buy a car or truck without them. Yeah, that was kind of the situation. Like I 
say, I was in this situation where I, I, I knew I wanted that. I had this heated seat envy, and it's like, my gosh, all my friends have this. That heated steering wheel is kind of lumping into the same category, especially if you're going to get into a car on a cold Wisconsin morning. James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I like I like those too. The heated seats, your uh, your GPS and mm-hmm. your backup and everything else. But the thing that I think that that's come up come about and that more so and everything else is you like music and I do too. Is uh, stations uh, on radio on regular radio that you can see uh, what they're playing the music and stuff and the right. gear and everything else and some of the stuff and everything else that you you think you know and you don't know or. Or, or it's done by somebody else, you know, cover bands or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and that's pretty cool, too. Oh, oh yeah, no, thanks. I mean, you, when you've got the, the displays that you have where it, it's not just, okay, I know I've got it tuned to 620, but it, it gives me the list of, you know, what it is that I'm listening to and things like that. Yeah, it, it's all that added information is incredibly cool, and, you know, it's just it's really amazing, and I, I, I know I kind of go back to this every once in a while, but the, the last 10 or 15 years have just been so phenomenal as far as development, really the explosion of the Internet. I know the Internet existed before 2000, but but now it's become just such a part of it that you can access the Internet, for example, when, when you're in your car, and you can do all these downloads and things like that, and you can stream all the music that you want, or you can stream the talk stations that you want, and all those, those things. It, it's really been been a dramatic sort of change, especially if you think back, if you were a certain age and, and you wanted music in your car, that there, there was a time, there was a time when the CD players that you would put in your car, or actually the tape decks that you would put in your car, some cases cost as much as some of the used cars that some of my friends drove when they were in high school. 855-616-1620. Dave and Muskego. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. One of the features a lot of people get out and get after, because like an example, a friend of mine's wife, just as an example, couldn't drive, and their daughter couldn't parallel park to save them for anything. So what happened was he insisted on getting the car with parallel parking and the perpendicular parking and backing features because they just could not do it. So that was one of the features. Oh, yeah. No, they, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't... I don't know if I have that on my vehicle or not. If I do, I've, I've never used it. Um, and, and that's one that I'd be a little bit reluctant for. But, yeah, I mean, I've seen the commercials for the ones that have it, and they just kind of get out, and they, they do it automatically. Jim in Fond du Lac. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Hey, uh, auto- automatic brights and the, uh, pass- or the driver seat reminder. So it goes back to your position oh. instead of your wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. We have that set on on our cars as well. If I've got my set of keys, that is nice. It, it swings it; it automatically adjusts it because I'm, I'm taller, much taller than than she is. The automatic brights—that's a great feature as as well. Especially you're driving down these country roads and it flicks on, and I love the fact yep. that it flicks off when it sees you know like a car coming the other way. I don't know how they do that, but it's incredible that they do. Yeah, I know. I know it's great. It is. No, thanks for well, right? And it's just, it's like okay, you don't have to worry about flashing on and off your brights. It just kind of takes care of itself automatically. Now, sometimes it's a bit of an annoyance because the other, I mean, I think it was maybe it was Christmas Eve or something. It was some night that I was driving. We're going somewhere, and it was really, really foggy, and the it, the bright thing kept coming on, and I had to actually disable it because in the heavy fog, I really didn't want the brights on. That made it much more difficult to drive. But I love that feature. There's no question about it. Let's talk to Alan in Elm Grove. Alan, you're on WTMJ. 
Yes, hi, Jeff. Hi. I'm uh, a fan of the auto brake hold where you push a button and it's either on your console or maybe it's in your in your computer screen, but the brake goes on automatically when your foot is on the brake. You don't have to keep your foot on the brake. Mm-hmm. So if you're at a long light or or a train is stopping you, you can you can uh, just right. take your foot off the gas and. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's. I guess that's that's another one. I'm pretty sure. I I know I have it. That's one that I I just I haven't used, but I could understand how that would be good. Uh, Jeff, I don't like the gas saving stop engine at corners feature. Love the steering wheel heat though. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I've talked about this before, that auto engine stop thing, which I, I, I absolutely hate. The thing that, you know, it, to, in order to save a, a teaspoonful of gas, it shuts off the car and then starts it up again. So I'm, I'm always disabling it. There's a button on my car where you can disable that feature, and I'm always doing that. It's now a matter of habit. My concern is as the government pushes the car manufacturers more and more to meet EPA standards, that that feature, your ability to disable that auto stop thing, it is going to go away, which I'm going to absolutely, absolutely hate if that, in fact, happens. Bill in Chicago. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thank you. Uh, Hi, Bill. You know, I love the backup camera on my Explorer. Yep. Um, we've, got, we've got a lot of children in our neighborhood, and they're up and down on the sidewalk with their bikes, and uh, I really, really think that's a safety thing, and plus uh, it's got the alarm if you get yep. too close to a car that you're yeah. up. It's really good. Yeah, I, Bill, I'm, thanks for calling. I, I'm with you. And I, I admit, I was a little bit skeptical when those things first started coming out. And, and they added a little bit to the cost. I was thinking, okay, does, do people really need that? But I will tell you, now having, having driven cars with those for the last four or five years, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it, to me, it doesn't replace turning around and, and looking, but it, it's an additive thing. And I agree with you as well. I, I Candidly, more so than just the camera, I use that. Um, I, I use the feature where it, it beeps if somebody is behind you or there's a car that, that's coming behind you. I love that feature. I also love the feature they have with the, the lane-changing thing where if somebody's in your blind spot and, and you go to, to shift lanes, it it tells you that there's somebody that's in in your blind spot. I I think that is an amazing safety feature, and and I got to imagine that that has cut down on the number of automobile accidents substantially. So it's the you know it's the it's kind of the little things that you know develop, and it, sometimes it, it's a fun thing, just like finding that twenty dollar bill in in your jeans pocket after you've washed your pants it, it's it, it, there's just little things that are there jeff here's one the sensor below the trunk that you can wave your foot at and it opens it's great when you have full hands yeah i have um i have that i have that as well don't use that that much but yeah that's one that would be a great one too all these different features that are out there and i guess look i i understand that there's different price points and some of them, you say, okay, well, t- in order to get this feature, do I really want to spend X amount of dollars more? And it might not make any sense. But sometimes there's these little things. I never thought that I would love a heated steering wheel, and and I do. number of people are saying that they also, not just the heated seats, but they have like the air-cooled seats and things like that. I, I don't... I don't have that, but I could imagine, again, if you live in a hot climate or around here during, you know, July and August and you get into that hot car, I would imagine it would be nice to be able to push the button and all of a sudden you get some air cooling in the seats as well. All right. Just, it's the little stuff that sometimes we like a lot. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Hey, Jeff, one of the things I never thought I would want, but right now I can't live without, is adaptive cruise control. It automatically senses the car in front and will adjust the cruise control settings so that you stay a certain distance beyond the ve- behind the vehicle. It's awesome. Yeah, I've got a kind of longer road trip coming up in the relatively near future and we'll be driving, and, and that is that that's is a great feature. What I like about that in particular is, unlike the old cruise control where you put it on and then where you'd have to deactivate it, then you'd have to hit the button again, now it just comes back automatically a lot of love for the heated seats um jeff uh, my husband has the heated steering wheel on the 2021 toyota camry he loves it i'm sure he'll never buy another car without it here's pete noconwalk who says jeff i'm officially taking away your man card i've lost all respect for you with a heated steering wheel laugh out loud all right that's fine pete you can have the man card back but i'm telling you once you get that heated steering wheel man you're you're never going back (laughs) it's just it's one of those um things jeff i knew you were going to say the heated steering wheel before you even said it this is my first winter with it i absolutely love mine i don't think i could ever be without it again and then a number of people are mentioning remote start um jeff i i never had remote start but now i would never not have it it's great to warm up um i start it When the check comes, when I'm out to dinner, it also works in the summer, too. Cools down nicely. All right, those are all those different things. It's the little stuff that you thought you would never want or you'd never need. Maybe you don't need it, but it's still it's one of those little tiny things, one of those little tiny perks that maybe makes life worth living. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. About a week or so ago, I mentioned that a very dear friend of our family, uh, Betsy, who's like a second mom to my wife and just um, been a long-time listener, and she describes herself as the biggest fan of the show, and that's very might well might very well be. Well, Betsy was in the hospital, and we were all worried, but she's, she's out of the hospital listening to the show at home, so I'm glad you're back. Hope you're feeling better, and hope you continue to get better, Betsy. Um, all right, I, I, I want to double back on, on something because I'm getting a ton of texts on it, and I, I always need to explain this sometimes because... Sometimes people say, well, you, you answered that question two days ago, Jeff, at, at 1245 or at, at 1.30. Why are you talking about it again? And I always feel necessary to explain to folks that the, the way people listen to radio, just because you do something some way doesn't mean that everybody else does it the, the same way. For example, if your habit is to stop off every morning on the way to work to Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee and two Long John's, that doesn't mean that everybody else stops off at Dunkin' Donuts at the same time that on their way to work. Maybe they might do it, you know, once a month or once every other month. So people consume things in different ways. And that's true with radio listening as well. We have some people, thank you, God bless you all, who turn on the radio when you wake up at six o'clock in the morning and it stays on WTMJ and you keep it on till you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. We love you. That That's great. On the other hand, there's also a large universe of listeners out there who who can't listen all day or who, who can't listen to the entire three hours, for example, of my show. So maybe in their routine is it's their lunch hour, and so they listen to it. Or maybe they listen to it on the podcast, or maybe they're in the car between appointments, and they catch 15 or 20 minutes here. And so it's just, just because somebody heard something, you know, you talked about something at, at 1245 on a Monday, doesn't mean that you've got that same audience that's listening at 215 on a Friday, for example. So I was telling the story the other day about how my, my iPhone, 
and a number of people heard it, and trust me, I, hundreds of people offering suggestions on this. I've got this really old iPhone, this iPhone 5S, and it, it works just absolutely fine. And I understand at some point in time, Apple's going to stop supporting it and all those types of things. But I'm trying to get the last ounce of, of use out of it just because I, I like it. I don't I don't want to spend the eight or nine hundred dollars or whatever it's going to cost to to replace it. But I was having this problem because the phone charging thing wasn't working. And I was talking about this and I and I thought, OK, maybe the cord, it just wouldn't wouldn't make a good contact, wouldn't plug in. So long story short, I, I looked into buying an Apple iPhone, one of the new iPhones, but because of COVID, they're not downloading data or things. So I said, I'm going to hold off. Although one of my good friends, Colin, has, right, calls me up and says, I, I can download it for you, Jeff. Don't worry about it. And I think he, he probably can, and I might take him up on that. But anyhow, I, I put it on hold. So I go home that night. It was Monday night, and I decide, you know, the, the internet is really for things more than just pornography. So I type in this Google search about, you know, iPhone 5S, you know, connection you know, with charging cord. And sure as heck, there, there's a YouTube video that's out there. And, and there's a guy who's got, and he's showing it. It's the same problem that I'm having with mine. And his solution is he takes a thumbtack. And who knew? There's like lint that accumulates in that little hole there. And so... I'm watching this, and he's pulling all this lint out. And he says, yeah, you take the lint out, and it restores the connection. So I'm thinking, huh. So I take a paper clip, and you got to be a little careful about that. And I start cleaning out the thing, and all this lint starts coming out. And I, I don't want to say it's perfect, but it's it's almost 95% like new. I'm not having the problems at all and didn't have to spend the $800. So who knew? And a lot of people are texting me, whatever happened with the iPhone? Well, I've still got the old iPhone. I've cleaned it out and, and a three-minute fix with a paperclip, at least in the short term, managed to save me like however much money a new iPhone would be. America is a great country and the internet is tremendous. All right, let us go where angels fear to tread. Let, let's review the bidding on this. The country right now is seeing a huge spread of this latest COVID variant. And I hope what I'm not what I'm about to say isn't too terribly controversial. You know, maybe maybe it will be. But but here's the thing. I think the vaccinations and the boosters did a great job from the original COVID-19 and then the Delta variant. It did a great job of number one keeping people from getting COVID or the Delta COVID-19 or, or the Delta variant. I think it did a great job of stopping people from getting sick in the first place. Um, that's why you know, we refer to them as breakthrough cases of COVID, people who'd been vaccinated who got it. And it was a very, very small percentage of people. Secondly, the vaccines did an absolutely outstanding job of stopping people from getting what I'm going to describe as really sick, from being hospitalized and from dying. If you look at the people that over over the last year and a half since vaccines rolled out that were in the hospital and or died, the overwhelming majority were people who were not vaccinated. So the vaccinations really had, had two two positive roles. First, Again, they stopped people from getting COVID. And secondly, they stopped people from, even if you got COVID, from getting really sick with it. All right, that that's great. This latest Omicron variant 
it is different. If you look around, the numbers of people getting it are just astronomical. And I've said repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, I, I know more people in the last three weeks who've come down with COVID than in the first like year and a half. And in all the cases of all these people I know, ranging in age from 17 to upper 80s, in all cases, the people were vaccinated. And in many cases, they had the boosters, but they still got it. So what that tells me, especially by this huge increase in numbers that you're seeing, is that this Omicron variant is, I don't want to say it's not prevented by the vaccines, but the vaccines don't do a great job of stopping people from getting it. I I think that that's fair. You can't look at the numbers. I don't even know that we talk about breakthrough cases anymore because a large number of people that are getting it are vaccinated and or boosted. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get vaccinated and boosted because the one thing that is also undeniable is that if you are vaccinated and boosted and get this Omicron variant, you're, you're in all likelihood you're not going to end up in the hospital. It's if depending on where you go and what you look at, 95 plus percent of the people who are in the hospital with this latest variant are people who have been unvaccinated. So even if these, this new variant is not stopping people from getting it. It's definitely stopping people from getting really sick, which to me makes it completely and totally worthwhile. And as I have said repeatedly, means that it's also probably a, a good indicator that maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel, that everybody has either had it or is going to get this latest variant, is going to have a degree of immunity, and then this whole thing is going to burn out, like it appears to be doing in South Africa, where this this all started. So the, the stuff changes. The, the, variant, the variants change. And so my whole point is maybe our advice needs to change based on that. Okay, masks are very, very controversial. For example, as we talked about yesterday in the city of Milwaukee, there there is a mask advisory, but there's not a mask mandate. And the acting mayor of the city says that at least right now he has no intention of imposing a mask mandate because essentially he believes it's unenforceable and there's no way – he, he believes that to the extent that you've got a spread going on, you have the majority of people are, are going to get together. It, it's it's spreading when you get 12 people that get together to watch the Packers in somebody's basement. And you, and you can't you can never enforce a mask rule there. So that's kind of where we are. I, I'm wondering if we need to change our thinking about masks in general, though. And, and here's the point um, story in the L.A. Times today, California will extend its mask mandate for indoor public spaces for at least another month. So California has had a mask mandate for indoor places that has been in effect for several months because they believe it is important to stop the spread of COVID. Okay, fine. And that's certainly been the conventional wisdom that's out there. But here's the thing. At the same time, California has had this masked mandate. California is also looking at record numbers of people who are getting COVID. So you have, and and again, thankfully, they're they're not seeing this huge spike in hospitalizations because the hospitalizations are are mostly a crisis of the unvaccinated. But but people are still getting COVID. Masks or no masks, the mask rules in California aren't generating more COVID cases, say, than communities that don't have 
have mask rules. And now there's more and more information that's coming out that's suggesting that against this more infectious variant, this Omicron thing, that most of the masks, or at least many of the types of masks that we are wearing, are, are, are flat out useless. The cloth masks... The real question now, because, you know, they're not, not tight fitting. I mean, they, they leave a little gap that these cloth masks are, are almost completely and totally worthless nowadays. Not totally, but almost totally worthless, which would explain perhaps, you know, why the numbers continue to go up. So now we're being told that, well, if you've got surgical masks that fit tightly and you have those on, oh, okay, maybe that's going to make a difference. But the rules aren't saying you've got to have the surgical mask because, fr- quite frankly, there's probably not enough surgical masks that are out there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the numbers... If you've got communities that have had mask rules in place and the numbers of people getting COVID are on a par with communities that don't have mask rules in place, is it fair to question whether or not the mask rules make any difference or maybe whether the mask rules need to be tweaked and they need to say, okay, wearing this type of mask or that type of mask isn't really going to make any any difference. And maybe you have to confront the issue. Do we want to say that everybody's got to have the N95 or the KN95 masks or the surgical masks? And if so, is that practical? But if if it doesn't make any difference, if the people are still out there wearing the, the cloth masks, and people are still getting sick at the same numbers as at the same percentage rate as communities that don't have the mask rules. D- does it become nothing but virtue signaling? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Your comments and thoughts. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's a text, Jeff. You're saying that California would have more cases of COVID if they didn't have mask da- mandates. What's the point? No. What 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 I'm what I'm saying is. You have communities that have had mask mandates in place for the last several months. All right. And, and they are experiencing essentially the same rate of, of COVID transmission as communities that haven't had mask mandates. Well, is it, is, is it that controversial to say, do, do the mask mandates make any difference? If the communities that have mask mandates have the same transmission rates a, as the communities that don't, maybe we need to say that against with this new variant, for example, maybe maybe the masks aren't the be-all, end-all. And I, I, but I, I don't know that that's un, an unfair question to, to ask in this regard. I, I think the real truth is that the mask probably help a little bit on the periphery, but the truth of the matter is, especially with this very infectious new form of, of COVID, the Omicron thing, what happens is if, if people aren't wearing masks properly or, or have the cloth masks or have kind of the loose-fitting masks, which I would argue a vast majority of people do, that, that they're in the protection there is is not necessarily that great. So is this, in fact, virtue signaling? Now, if you can figure out a way to make everybody go out with the surgical masks, maybe that's a sort of different story, but that's that's not where we are. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I think there probably is a little virtue signaling, and I think that's been going on ever since the mask mandates went into place. Um, but I know for me, I've been wearing mine since March of 2020, and part of it is because of what I do for work. But I think it does give people a feeling of, of safety and security. Um, and, however, if we are following the science and the science is saying that, well, it really doesn't make much of a difference, 
perhaps they do need to tweak because there's some people who are extremely opposed to it. Yeah, I guess that's Mike. Thanks for calling. I guess that's that's kind of the point I'm making. If if you want to wear a mask, that that that's fine. And I think you can make a very very strong argument that before we have this had this latest variant of COVID, that masks did in fact make a difference. I, I think that that's clearly what the science shows. But I'm just looking at where we are now with this newest variant, and unless. People are going to be, again, wearing those sort of surgical masks. I, I'm wondering if it, in fact, makes any difference. And if it really doesn't statistically make any difference, do, do, should the government have mandates which create all sorts of issues and which in many respects aren't aren't enforceable if – you know, you're, you're sitting next to somebody and you're wearing one of those cloth masks. If that really doesn't protect you or protect the person who's next to you from getting COVID. And I, I just I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the real world aspect of this is, because like I, I say, I think of all of these people I know, and admittedly, it's just anecdotal, who've gotten COVID. And my guess is a lot more people I know have actually gotten COVID. They've just been asymptomatic and haven't known it. But all these people who've been diagnosed with COVID, boost, uh, boosted you know, vaccinated, and in many cases, you know, big time, they wear masks, you know, when they go into the grocery stores, when they interact with people, and and yet they got it. So I I just, I wonder whether this is a rule, which might have made a lot of sense, say six months ago or whatever, that maybe doesn't make any sort of sense now, given what the latest variant is and given, you know, what the science is. So, I mean, I guess my point has always been, I I believe this idea of follow the science and I get the idea that the science changes based on different things. I'm just wondering whether or not we just get so embedded in, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to do the other, that we, we fail to analyze whether doing this or that or the other really isn't going to make any difference as the variant changes. I, I throw that out there for people to think about. Now, obviously, if communities have mask rules, you wear a mask. If you know you want to go to Pfizer Forum to watch the Bucks or watch Marquette play or see a concert, their rule is that, that you wear a mask. So obviously, you follow the that rule. They have the right, in my opinion, to do it. I just wonder whether, given where we are now with the latest variant, whether that rule is going to make any significant difference or not. And I will tell you, I think it's very clear, if you're going to go down the mask route, what you need to do is invest in a higher quality mask, because if you've got these loose-fitting cloth masks and stuff, I, I don't know that 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 even the experts nowadays say that that accomplishes very much. I'm looking at the head health officer from L.A. where they just announced that they're continuing their their mask rule. And he's saying now they're starting to add, well, we think people need to get better fitting masks as well. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, it is a business, but it kind of sucks nonetheless. Um, the, the, the Bucks are having a good season, but they really haven't found their stride. Lots of injuries, COVID-related stuff, and they really miss Brooke Lopez, their, their center, who's been out all year. Apparently, he had back surgery, and they're being very tight-lipped as to whether or not he's he's coming back. Um, hopefully, that's going to be the case, because they, they clearly need him. So one of the things the Bucks did is they, they've been trying to fill that spot. So they signed DeMarcus Cousins, who has had a, a very storied career in the NBA, 
and, and great success over the years. And now he's one of these sort of aging veterans who kind of bounces around from, from team to team. And clearly his best days are in the rearview mirror, but that doesn't mean he, he can't contribute. Matter of fact, you know, last night, Bucks lost to Toronto, but last night he played 15 points, 10 rebounds. And that's 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 pretty good. Fifteen points, ten rebounds. So has it what I would think is a pretty good game in the Bucks six point loss to Toronto. Apparently immediately after that they call him in and they say they're they're dumping him. They're going to waive his contract. And and here's here's why. He signed a, a one year deal on November thirtieth, and what happens is if he's still on the roster as of next Monday, his contract becomes guaranteed. In other words, the Bucks have to pay him for the, the balance of the year, regardless of whether they cut him or not. So by cutting him now, they clear up a roster space and, and they save that that money. So um, in, in order just for the timing to work out, he would have had to have been cut by 5 o'clock on Friday because you have to have an opportunity to clear waivers. So they're, they're doing it now because they want the roster spot. And again, it... I, you know, just because they've done this now doesn't, I believe, stop them from bringing him back at some point in time in the future. And as they get closer to the trade deadline, it frees up a roster spot, and, and maybe they can find somebody that's better. But it is it is kind of a business out there, and you think, man, I just go out, I score 15 points, I get 10 rebounds, I've played really hard over the course of the last like month and a half, and they say thank you and just kind of kick me to the curb. And I, I get it. it it's It's a business understand and you know you got to put together the best team but i almost i sort of now the truth is you can't feel too bad for demarcus cousins because he's made a ton of money playing a, a game over the course of the this 10 year plus career so i'm, I'm sure he's going to be okay but still it's kind of a tough way to end given you know what he was contributing all right today is of course the anniversary of the january 6th Riot. I think that's the best way to describe it. Some people say insurrection. Um, nobody's been charged with insurrection after a year. So I'm not, I, I think that that's a word that's not necessarily accurate or appropriate, but it was clearly a, a riot. You have President um, Biden who gives a fiery speech today denouncing, you know, Donald Trump and essentially blaming him for that. You've got Vice President Kamala Harris who likens what happened on January 6th to to Pearl Harbor and 9-11, which I think a lot of people might be eh, figuring it's, it's sort of an overstatement, but but she said that. So the question is, you know, what's going on? And, and a year after the fact, you know, where do we stand? There is a very interesting editorial in the New York Post today. And I, I almost never do this, but I want to read it to you because I think it makes a couple interesting points most of which I agree with. And then we're going to use this as a framework for a discussion moving forward. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, I want to share this editorial with you. And I guarantee you, it is going to annoy people on all sides of the aisle. But that doesn't mean it's not spot on. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ on Wednesday, January 12th. That's next Wednesday. For a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life, politics, the economy, that's one of my sections, health, 
That's one of my sections as well. And more here from big name guests like Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers and Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. It's WTMJ 2022 on January 12th from 9 to 6, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. For more information, go to WTMJ.com. All right. So it is the anniversary of January 6th. Lots of people are out there talking about what this means and where we are. New York Post has an interesting editorial. And I, like I said at the start, I think this this editorial, to me, it raises some uncomfortable truths about what's going on on both sides of the aisle. Let me share it with you in its entirety, and then we're going to discuss. It starts off, Democrats aim to use Thursday's anniversary of the Capitol riot to wave the bloody shirt, repeating the ludicrous ludicrous claims of a GOP war on democracy, where hordes of insurrectionists are a lit match away from sparking chaos and violence. Sadly, this is nothing more than milking the ongoing gift of former President Donald Trump's endless denialism about the 2020 election for every last ounce of outrage they can produce. We endorse Trump. We view President Joe Biden's performance in the last year as a disaster. But the simple fact is that Trump lost fair and square. His charges of stolen, suppressed and or faked votes are baseless. We wish he would agree. Trump should have been remembered for the good he did while in office, triggering an economic boom that delivered record gains for the working class, at last stabilizing the southern border, fostering the vaccines that remain America's chief weapon against COVID. Instead, he is remembered more for his false claims that the election was stolen and for January 6th. Yes, Democrats and their allies did all they could to loosen voting rules in 2020 using the pandemic as an excuse and to boost turnout in anti-Trump areas. But it was all kosher enough under America's long traditions of partisan combat. Trump's claims of being robbed are every bit as bogus as the big lie that Hillary Clinton's team spun after her 2016 loss, though she managed to sell her Russiagate conspiracy theory to a lot more well-connected and all-too-willing dupes in government and the media. But where Clinton's lies led America's elites to disgrace themselves with hundreds of false news stories and a ridiculous impeachment, Trump's lies produced the disgrace of the January 6th riot, a rampage through the U.S. Capitol by hundreds of deluded fools exacerbated by unforgivable security failures motivated by some nutty aim of preventing the final ratification of the presidential results. Democrats Democrats term that chaos an insurrection, and among their faithful have successfully sought to brand almost every Republican or anyone who disagrees with them, and that's more than half the nation, as an insurrectionist. So much for uniting the country, President Biden. Recent weeks have seen a new sinister phrase pop up among the liberal elite, desperate after the collapse of their drive to push through the disastrous spending, an insistence that we are now in a war on democracy. Scaremongering Democrats pretend every Republican effort to set future voting rules less liberal than those of 2020, but far easier than the rules that governed all past U.S. elections, will do nothing less than bring down this nation. Their charge is every bit as, or maybe even more cynical, selfish, corrosive, and downright dangerous to our democracy, as was Trump's folly. 
In service of the insurrection lie, Democrats have pushed for harsh treatment of the rioters. To that end, the Justice Department says its probe of the actions that day is the largest in U.S. history. It's nabbed more than 700 people so far and is on the hunt for at least another 350. Hundreds have been charged with entering a restricted federal building, assault, resisting arrest, or obstructing an official proceeding. Indeed, on Wednesday, Attorney General Merrick Garland made it clear, made it sound as if this was the biggest crisis ever to face America or any other nation. The Justice Department remains committed to holding all January 6th perpetrators at any level accountable under law, whether they were present that day or were otherwise criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy. He vowed, we will follow the facts wherever they lead. Despite all that, his gum shows have yet to find a single capital rioter to charge with armed assault or insurrection. Democrats also created a bipartisan committee to investigate the insane events of that day. But the utterly partisan nature of the panel set up purely according to the whims of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who named the only two remaining never Trump House Republicans to make it more than a Dems only affair, guarantees that most of the nation won't buy a thing it digs up. All this posturing, from Trump's rambling rants to Pelosi's pathetic ploys and Biden's doddering, does the reverse of what it pretends. Instead, it deepens partisan divisions. It further alienates the vast center of America, and it tells the world that the United States is a dysfunctional mess just when we need to be showing the opposite. What threatens America is continuing to scrape the barrel of uncivil, disingenuous politics, not supposed militias plotting to overthrow the government. It's time for politicians of all stripes to remember there is more that unites us than divides us and to start acting like it. Hmm. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, you might not like to hear it, but I think there is a lot of truth in that editorial. Let's start with the condemnation of, of Trump. You know, I, I understand that there's some people who want to try to brush this under the rug, but let, let's, let's face it. What happened is his remarks were incendiary. You had a bunch of yahoos that were in Washington, D.C. He fired them up. He fueled it by these ridiculous claims that the election was stolen. And then he sat back and and he watched while 750 or 1,000 stormed the Capitol, despite the fact that people from all sides were calling and begging, hey, these are your people. Call them off. No question about it. And I think his legacy has been forever stained, like this editorial says, by the, the constant crazy denials, as well as what happened on, on January 6th. Second, despite a year of investigation, you know, we talk about insurrections, but, but nobody's been charged with plotting to overthrow the government. What they've been charged with, and what I think is completely appropriate here, is, again, the rioting, the breaking into the Capitol, the trespassing, the assaults, all those different things, completely appropriate. But we've been looking for a year, and there's no suggestion and there's no evidence that these were like organized plans to try to overthrow the government. Rather, it was a bunch of yahoos that were out there fired up and deciding that we're going to storm into the Capitol with some sort of crazy thing about let's grab this person or grab that person or whatever. Criminal behavior, no doubt about it, just like 
that the people who were involved in the riots in Kenosha in August of 2020 were involved in criminal behavior and they need to be held accountable and all that stuff. But what was it really a plot to overthrow the government? And, and if so, you know, where is the evidence of, of that plot? As opposed to, again, yahoos who get fired up and decide that they're going to trespass for some point. Let's capture Mike Pence or whatever. Scary sort of stuff, admittedly. But is this this massive plot to overthrow the government or is it a bunch of out of control yahoos? Then on the flip side of this, you've got Democrats, starting with Joe Biden, who clearly Biden's approval ratings are in the tank. He's got 42 percent people unhappy with the job he's done on COVID, people unhappy with the job he's done on the economy, people unhappy with the job he's done about the border, people unhappy about what happened in Afghanistan. I could go on and on and on, but, you know, his numbers are in the tank. So, you know, what are we doing now? Well, okay, we're we're trying to focus on, oh, that this is this war on democracy because you had hundreds of crazies fired up inappropriately by Donald Trump who decided that they were going to engage in, in this this violence. And the point of the New York Post article is we've all got to get over this. I, I mean, seriously, the Republicans that are in denial about these Trump claims about the stolen election and stuff, they've got to move on. And for the Democrats that have decided this is going to be where they're going to plant the flag, that every Republican that out that's out there that doesn't believe that, gee, we need to, I don't know, impose some of these new voting rules, that you're, you're part of the war on democracy. I mean, at, at some point in time, the rhetoric on both sides, I think, is incredibly counterproductive. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, you know, Kamala Harris likening what happened last year to Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Maybe the rhetoric a tad overheated. 855-616-1620. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So so I have about a half dozen texts saying, well, Jeff, it's the New York Post. That's Rupert Murdoch. And and yes, the, the New York Post is a voice on the right, like the New York Times is a voice on the left. But my question to everybody has been, all right, that that's fine. Tell me what about that editorial I just read that, that you disagree with, that essentially says Trump fostered this stuff by these ridiculous claims that the election was stolen and his refusal to accept the legitimate result. At the same time, you have Democrats who are talking about this as this war on democracy and, and this, this insurrection, and, and nobody's been charged with, with insurrection. I mean, they've been charged with trespassing and things of, of the like, and they deserve, in fact, to be prosecuted. My point here is you, you have, I think, People on both sides, in this case, in the anniversary of January 6th, which was a terrible thing that happened, you have people that decided to politically weaponize it, I think in part to try to shift public attention from all the other stuff that is going on now. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure any of this stuff gets us any closer to, I don't know, uniting ourselves as a country. 855-616-1620. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi. What do you think? Well, uh, there's two main points that I want to cover, and the first and most important one is uh, I feel like a, a large majority of the Democrats in this issue are, are a bunch of sibling cowards because they refuse to, to actually enforce and take proper action for uh, uh, the things that have been done on January 6th. 
uh, and they're they're just not taking it seriously enough. Uh, at the end of the day, if what had happened last year had gone through like they wanted it to, not the Democrats, I mean the, the people that were rioting, uh, we literally would have not had a democracy anymore because our election outcome could have been changed or halted by, by a riot group of people. And so that's the first point I want to make is I don't think uh, most Democrats are, are doing anything near enough uh, their duty to, to uh, bring those people to, to proper justice. They're, they're dancing around the issue. Um, the other point I wanted to make was uh, in regards to the article, I directly disagree with uh, its portrayal of the January 6th commission uh, being bipartisan. Yes, there are a couple Republicans on it. Opportunities to join and be a part of that mm-hmm. commission, and they directly refuse to do so. Their choice cannot be any part of any personal accountability. That coming from the party of personal responsibility, supposedly. So to now sit there and to cry and to moan and to act like uh, like this commission is just uh, uh, going too far. Well, you had a chance to be a part of that to make sure everything was fair and level and to have your say, and you didn't want to hold anybody to accountability. For well, what I don't think. Well, day. Mark, I, I don't you think that. No well, no, see, Mark, I don't think that's that. now. I was with you for a little while, but but I don't think that that's true when you say you don't want to hold anybody accountable for this there are 750 plus people i believe who have been charged already nobody charged with with insurrection but charged with other various crimes there's a handful of them that are already starting their jail sentences there's apparently another 300 people that are out there so this is about a it's about a thousand people and maybe there's some more folks that are on the periphery there but I, i is this is this a war on democracy when you are talking about this number of, of people? And again, they're, they're fired up by this mistaken belief that was fueled by former President Trump's claims that the election were stolen, claims that I, I think most of us realize or should realize were in fact bogus in that regard. But is that one of these elements where, okay, was this really an insurrection? And, and yes, I, I don't, I mean, quite candidly, you know, these yahoos that were there at the Capitol, I, I don't think that they could plot and Inspire their way out of a paper bag. This was a bunch of people who were fired up. They decided that they were just going to storm the Capitol. And, and this this idea that they would have ever realistically been able to prevent the, the peaceful transition of power, I, I think, is naive at best. And none of that's to say that they shouldn't be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. I think what happened a year ago was a complete and total disgrace. And I have been saying that for a year. And I can remember, man, it doesn't, I, in some respects, it seems like forever. In other cases, it seems like yesterday. I, mean, I can remember that the, the, the riot at the Capitol actually started while I was on the air a year ago. So, I mean, it's, it's clearly an, a, a disgrace. There, there's no question about it. And the yahoos that were involved in it need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And, um, President Trump's behavior, former President Trump's behavior, I think was absolutely appalling, not only in trying to perpetrate the, oh, the election was stolen um, argument, but also by, by standing by, you know, once you had supporters of his that were storming the Capitol, by, by not immediately coming out and saying, stop it, do not do this. I mean, I think he forever disgraced himself and candidly probably made himself unelectable moving forward. Some people disagree with that, but I, I, I think that that's absolutely the case. At the same time, 
if you don't think that there's people on the other side who are using this in an effort to try to divert from perhaps failures of the current administration and distract from other issues, I think you're being naive as well. Let's talk to Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Um, I'm going to address the insurrection aspect of it or lack of the charges for it. Um, Now, you're a prosecutor. I was, yeah. And what I believe they're doing is they're they're culling the small fish. They're getting the small fish. They get information from the small fish. And once they build the case, then they go after the big fish. Who, the who big do you think are the ones that are going to be? Oh, who do you okay, think? Are, who do you think? I'm sorry. Who do you think are the big fish? I don't know that precisely yet, but it'll come out with the investigation. And as far as the Yahoos, yeah, you had some tag-alongs that were there for a rally that got caught up in it, but you also had some organized groups there, the Boogaloos, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers. Mm -hmm. They were not there just uh, on a spontaneous uh, mission after they heard Trump speak. They They had a plan. They had radios. They had things in which... Uh, why would you have these things unless you had a plan before yeah, but, you even? But, came but did to you the see? The, but did you see these yahoos? Like like the guy that that's wearing the the wolf costume or with a buffalo costume or whatever. Yes, these guys I, these I guys totally couldn't plan. They, they couldn't plan their way out of a paper bag for goodness sakes. Do you think? But just because there are some who are yahoos doesn't mean all of them are yahoos. Yeah. Um, they, well, maybe. I mean, they, again, I, I I mean, there's been. It's been a year. There have been extent, and look, maybe you're going to be right. There has, but but at least so far, it's been a year. There have been hundreds of people charged, appropriately so. And I'm not, I'm in no way defending or justifying that type of of behavior. But they, they've been they've been charged, and so far nobody's been charged with insurrection. Now, now maybe. You know, this ultimate plan is that, you know, some of these some of these crazy people who are running through the Capitol or whatever are going to say, you know, we had secret meetings with Mark Meadows, the chief of staff or, or Donald Trump. And, 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 you know, we were all organized to come in and, and this this was it. And we're going to find the emails and stuff. I maybe. But I would say that the odds of that are slim to none. And Slim's probably on a bus heading out of town because I think what you basically saw here is a bunch of yahoos. That's my word who were there. They were fired up. They believed legitimately, but incorrectly that the election had ba- in fact been stolen. And I think this was kind of a, a spontaneous sort of thing. And that's certainly at least what the charges have had since then. Editorial in the Wall Street Journal today. Let me share a portion with you. Democracy isn't dying. The Capitol riot of January 6, 2021, was a national disgrace. But almost more dispiriting is the way America's two warring political tribes have responded. Democrats led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi seem intent on exploiting that day to retain power, while the Donald Trump wing of the GOP insists it was merely a protest march that got a little carried away. We say this, this is the editorial board of the, of the Wall Street Journal. We say this is a statement of political reality, not as a council of despair. Our job is to face the world as it is and try to move it in a better direction. So a year later, what have we learned? One lesson is that on all the available evidence, January 6th was not an insurrection in any meaningful sense of the word. This was not an attempted coup. The Justice Department 
and the House Select Committee have looked high and low for a conspiracy to overthrow the government. Maybe they'll find it, but so far they haven't. There apparently was a war room of motley characters at the Willard Hotel and a small groups and small groups of plotters who wanted to storm the barricades, but they were too disorganized to do much more than incite what became the mob that breached the Capitol. The Justice Department says some 725 people from nearly all 50 states have been charged in the riot, linked mainly by social media and support for Donald Trump. About 70 defendants have had their cases adjudicated to date, and 31 of those will do time in prison. The rioters aren't getting off easy. They also didn't come close to overturning the election. The members fled the House chamber during the riot, but soon returned to certify the electoral votes. Eight senators and 139 House Republicans voted against certifying the electoral votes in some states, but that wasn't close to a majority. In other words, America's democratic institutions held up under pressure. They also held in the states where GOP officials and legislators certified electoral votes despite Mr. Trump's complaints. And they held in the courts as judges rejected claims of election theft that lacked enough evidence. Democrats grudgingly admit these facts, but say it was a close-run thing. It wasn't. It was a near-unanimous decision against Mr. Trump's electoral claims. None of this absolves Mr. Trump for his behavior. He isn't the first candidate to question an election result. Hillary Clinton still thinks Vladimir Putin defeated her in 2016. But he was wrong to give his supporters false hope that Congress and the Vice President Pence could overturn the electoral vote. He did not directly incite violence, but he did incite them to march on the Capitol. Worse, he failed to act to stop the riot, even as he watched on TV from the White House. He failed to act despite the pleading of families and allies. This was a monumental failure of character and duty. Republicans have gone mute on this dereliction as they try to stay united for the midterms, but they will face a reckoning on this with voters if Mr. Trump runs in 2024. As for the Pelosi Democrats... The question is, when will they ever let January 6th go? The latest news is that Speaker's Select Committee may hold primetime hearings this year, and the leaks are that they might even seek an indictment of Mr. Trump for indicting Congress. Really? Their constitutional power runs to impeachment, and they've already impeached him twice. All right, it, it, it goes on and on and on. But you get this. Um, none of these actions leave us much cause for optimism. But then we survived January 6th, and we've also survived more than a few bad presidents. Keep your eye on the Constitution's enduring principles and institutions and who sustains or tears them down. That's where self-government will live or die. And again, I, I don't read editorials very often, but I think this this one catches it. What happened on January 6th a year ago was disgraceful. It was a criminal act, and the people responsible for storming the Capitol need to be held accountable. They need to be prosecuted. If there's evidence that's out there of some larger sort of conspiracy, I don't think it's there. But if there is, that, that that's fine. It's follow the, those leads. But let's understand what's happening here. You've got people on both sides that are trying to milk this for all the political points that they can. And that's some of the rhetoric that you're hearing today from the one side. And candidly, it's from, again, the Republicans who refuse to recognize that Donald Trump's behavior on January 6th was appalling. Um, nobody is covering covering themselves with glory when it comes to this. And that, I think, is perhaps one of the biggest tragedies of all this stuff. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
During the 1.30 and 1 o'clock news, Alex Crow had a very, very interesting story, which raises a question that we should ask. Every time you have one of these these horrible stories, um, yet another day, yet another murder on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Here's the way it's being reported on television. Milwaukee police are investigating a double shooting that happened near 36th and Clark uh, this morning. Uh, police say a 41-year-old Milwaukee woman sustained fatal injuries. 14-year-old girl sustained life-threatening injuries. She was transported to a local hospital for treatment. Uh, Milwaukee police continue to seek a known suspect. Uh, the shooting is viewed as domestic violence related. Now, that that's a, a very, very key phrase because anytime you see the, the phrase domestic violence related, whether it's a homicide or an assault, there is a question which immediately should come to mind. And that question is the perpetrator. Was the perpetrator out on bail? And if so, you know, why was he out on bail? Now, I bring this up because we, we all know that the alleged perpetrator of the the Christmas, the Waukesha Christmas Parade massacre um, was a situation where you had low bail set. And, and one of the underlying offenses was domestic violence. We covered the story yesterday about the guy who owns the, the junk car lot who is now accused of first-degree murder, killing his girlfriend by taking, like, a concrete block and bludgeoning her to death. Well, as it turns out, that guy was out on a $250 bond on a domestic violence beef. This is a guy who had a prior conviction for felon, okay, who, as part of the charges against him in connection with the domestic violence case, he was also charged with being a felon in possession of a gun. So that means he had an underlying felony before that, felon in possession of guns, domestic violence. Uh, the girlfriend apparently said that the guy had told her that if he ever thought he was going to jail, he was going to kill her. And then that is precisely what he did. And you had the court system and the DAs that put this guy out on the streets on a $250 bail. Oh, but by the way, he had a no-contact order. They had written on paper, you're not supposed to have any more contact with the with the victim. Yeah, like anybody's enforcing that. And by the way, they were also going to put him on a GPS monitoring system, which is like one of those bracelets that keeps track of where you are. That That's pretty much of a joke. But But they didn't do it because... Well, we didn't have any available. So we just turned him loose on a $250 bond, and now a, a woman is dead. And it was all predictable. He apparently threatened he would kill her. He did, in fact, kill her. She is dead. Another domestic violence situation. Now, I don't know who it is that is responsible for killing this 41-year-old Milwaukee woman. But the police are saying it is domestic violence. And I think this is, again, another intrepid thing for the media. This is one of the challenges for some of the the different investigative reporters that are out there who are looking for stuff for Sweeps Week. Start looking at the various crimes of violence that are committed or have been committed over the last two years, the murders, the shootings, the assaults, all this sort of behavior, and start looking at how many of the perpetrators, I don't know, were number one out on bail, number two out on bail, that was ridiculously low, 250 bucks for a guy who's got a felony record. Um, and then look at people who are out on bail in these domestic violence sort of situations and, and look at what the, the connection is. Because I will tell you, the way they handle this, 
in Milwaukee County, like the way they handle so many other things, like juvenile car thefts, is an absolute, complete and total joke. Now, I don't know if... You know, this is a situation where there were indicators where the alleged perpetrator, the murderer in this case, you know, had restraining orders or stuff like that. I don't know. But I do think it is a fair question that every time you hear one of these stories, that should be the first thing that goes off. Oh, it's a domestic violence situation. Was this a one time thing or had this been through the system before? Because. I think it is fair to say that in a typical domestic violence situation, it doesn't, it's not the first time if it ends up in a murder. It's just that that's typically, and again, maybe this is that case. Maybe this is the, oh my gosh, you know, it's just something that got out of hand and there was no indications and there was no complaints or anything. And that may very well be the case, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch this and all the other domestic violence situations that are out there to see whether or not, again, these are people, these perpetrators are out there who have prior records. Because I will tell you this, this idea of getting this written order, well, we're going to let you out on $250 bond, but you're not supposed to have contact with the victim. Those orders are not worth the paper that they are printed on, which is maybe one of the reasons why we need to take a whole look at this system and say, all right, do we need to modify the law and bail to include not only are they going to show up, but are they going to kill the person that they're supposedly that they supposedly were responsible for threatening or whatever in the first place? And if so, maybe we want to keep a think about keeping these people locked up while their cases proceed through court. I don't know that that's that unreasonable suggestion because the alternative is, you know, more people like the gal apparently who was allegedly murdered by her boyfriend at the junkyard it's it's more it's more domestic violence victims that die back with more in just a couple of minutes live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner Well, people on the both sides of the aisle taking the advice from former First Lady Nancy Reagan, and they're just saying no. Uh, state Senator Chris Larson, very, very liberal state senator who has run unsuccessfully for Milwaukee County Executive twice, 2016 and 2020, um, he, he said earlier, well, at the end of last year, he said that he was exploring, considering, strongly considering a run for mayor. It seems like almost every politician in southeastern Wisconsin, or certainly in Milwaukee County, is strongly considering a run for mayor. And you you can understand it, as we've talked about in the last hundred years, Milwaukee has had eight mayors, but one of those mayors only served a couple months, Marvin Pratt, and one served uh, two years. So essentially, for a hundred years, there's been six mayors. So that tells you once you get in, chances are you're, you're going to be there for quite a while. And and right now is where it, it's getting. This is right now where the rubber meets the road because the you can start off if you want to run for mayor. What you do first of all, you have to file papers, and you, you file papers and you say, okay, I'm I'm, I'm declaring. The, the candidacy, etc., and and that lets you start raising money and things like that. Um, but but at the end of the day, the real problem is you you have to get signatures to qualify for the ballot, and people could take out the the signature pages. Um, they could do that starting I think December twenty third, 
And if you're going to actually get on the ballot for the February whatever primary, you have to turn in 1,500 valid signatures by next Tuesday. So now it's kind of crunch time, and you have all these people who've talked about running and maybe filed the papers. Well, now they actually have to go out and get signatures. So it's really I'm going to I'm going to tell you it's just you, you look at this and it's like every present current politician former politician people who want to be politicians they're coming out of the woodwork to run um current common council president and acting mayor Cavalier Johnson who apparently has raised several hundred thousand dollars um he he's filed papers um uh, Marina Dmitrievic, who is very, very liberal alderwoman, a uh, former alderman Bob Donovan, who is conservative, Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas, State Senator Lena Taylor, City Attorney Tierman Spencer. These are all filed papers. And then there's a handful of other people, one, two, three, four, five other people who filed papers. No disrespect, but nobody's ever heard of them. Not saying they don't have a chance to win, but at least nobody's heard of them. I would classify those as kind of what I'll describe as the second tier of candidates. But now everybody's out trying to get signatures. My guess is by the end of the day, by the end of Tuesday, you're going to have certainly, I'll bet you a half dozen of, of these people will actually have filed the paperwork and it's going to lead to a very, very interesting mayoral primary, which is going to be held on February 15th. But I think recognizing the reality, you know, Chris Larson looks at this and says, well, there's not much time and I don't have that much money and I don't know where my constituency is going to come from in light of a lot of the other people that are running. He decides, well, okay, this one we're going to take a pass on. So Chris Larson just says no. On uh, the other side, Donald Trump, who I think in an effort to maybe keep himself more relevant, Donald Trump has been playing kingmaker and he's been going around and he's been endorsing candidates to run for various offices, sometimes their state offices, sometimes their federal offices. And, and he's been also using this as a way to kind of get even with some of his enemies. That is, his enemies being like Republicans who might have voted to impeach him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, a while back, Donald Trump, this would be in October, remember, he came out and he called on former Congressman Sean Duffy to run for, for governor. Interesting enough, he said that, you know, he wanted he thought that, uh, you know, I'm working hard to get very popular and capable former Congressman Sean Duffy of Wisconsin to run for governor. He would be fantastic. A champion athlete. Sean loves the people of Wisconsin and would be virtually unbeatable. Well, I I, I don't know about that. I mean, I've known Sean Duffy for years. I think he did a great job as a congressman. and I think he'd be a fine candidate for governor. I, I don't know that he's a superior candidate to governor than, say, Rebecca Clayfish. It is, but the the big the big thing with Sean Duffy is he's not in Wisconsin an, anymore. He lives and he's moved his family to New Jersey. You know he's got a gig with Fox News. His wife Rachel Campos Duffy, um, she's the co-host of Fox's Fox and Friends Weekend Morning Show. So their their career is kind of on on the East Coast right now, and they've moved their whole family there. I, I just I was wondering where Trump was coming from with the gee, Sean Duffy would be a great candidate, but I don't think there was any serious chance that he'd really want to come back here and you know, try to you know raise money and do all those different things. He's got um, about two million dollars in his federal campaign account, so he's got a lot of money, but it's very very difficult and maybe illegal. 
I, I've got to go back and look at that to try to use federal money to run a statewide office. I, I think I'm right on that. But just because you've got the federal money doesn't mean that you could use it to, to run for governor. And again, I think I'm right on that, as I recall, my campaign finance law. But in any event, it's academic because in the surprise of no one, Sean Duffy said today that, no, he's, he's not running for governor. Might run for governor at some point in time in the future, maybe. Might come back and run for U.S. senator. Be a very strong candidate. But not going to happen in 2000. 2022. Sorry, former President Trump. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff, why do you care with the mayoral race? You can't vote in it. You do not live in the city of Milwaukee. No, but I, of course, I, I work in the city of Milwaukee, but that's not the bigger point. I care because the issues of Milwaukee affect everyone in southeastern Wisconsin. Just ask the families of the people who lost loved ones in the Waukesha Christmas Christmas parade attack at the hands of a guy who was released on a ridiculously low Milwaukee County bail. Just ask anybody who's driven to the city of Milwaukee for an event and has had their car stolen. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but but that's... That's the thing. Crime in Milwaukee. Let's just take crime as an issue. I could give you other examples as well. But crime in Milwaukee is not confined to the city of Milwaukee. You know, crime people from Milwaukee who've been let out on bail or no processed or whatever, you know, multiple times come out, they steal a car. They, they don't stop at the borders of the city of Milwaukee when they're driving at high rates of speed. No, they go into surrounding areas as well. Or you have repeat criminals from Milwaukee who decide that they're going to come out to surrounding communities and commit crimes because they think there's more targets of opportunity. No, I, the mayor of Milwaukee is very, very important for the overall community. And by that, I Include all of southeastern Wisconsin because if you don't get a handle on some of the problems going on in Milwaukee, well, it spills over to everyone else. Okay, I love France. I, I've, you know, I've, I, I, when I think back on all the different listener trips we've done over the years, I, I think two of my favorite trips. One was a long time ago, decades ago, where we we did a trip to the south of France. Um, and in the, you know, we got a chance to go over to Monaco and went to Nice and it, it was, it was really just beautiful. If you ever are fortunate enough to have an opportunity to go to the south of France, I, I would say do it. It's just, it might be, I think, one of the most beautiful and stunning places in, in the world. And then last, Spring last September, you know, we did uh, a river cruise, went to Paris and, and over to Normandy. If you ever get a chance to go to Normandy, I, I encourage you to do that. If you, like me, are a student of history and you get a chance to go to Omaha Beach and the American Cemetery and all these different things, you should definitely, you should definitely do it. And and I understand there's this reputation that that France has about being snooty to you know Americans and tourists and stuff. And all I can tell you is, both times I was there. That was not my experience. I, I found the French people to be friendly. I, I found it, it to be accessible. Lots and lots of people speak English. I speak very, very little French, one year of high school French. Actually, you know, as, as I get older, one of my goals is I'd really like to become functional in speaking both French and Spanish. Don't know if I'll ever be able to accomplish that. But, but you know, you were able to, to get around as, as an American speaking English, you know, with limited French. There, there was no problem with that, or at least we didn't have any sorts of problems. And so I, I, I enjoyed it. In Paris, if you ever get a chance to go to Paris, you, you should do it. I mean, it's just, it is a beautiful city and just to see the Eiffel Tower and the Champs-Élysées and all that stuff, it's, go past the Louvre, it, it's, 
it's worth it if you are ever fortunate enough to get the chance. Having said that, though, having said that I love to visit France, although I'll probably never go back, there is no way that I would ever live in France. And, and here's just the latest example of this. Here's the headline in the Washington Post today. France says car ads must come with a caveat, caveat, walk, bike, or take public transit instead. Now, let me back into this. If you are of a certain age, you will remember a time when they used to allow, in this country, they used to allow cigarette manufacturers to advertise their products on radio and television. I mean, you, you look back at some of the old TV shows, the Dick Van Dyke show, Lucille Ball, I Love Lucy and stuff, and, and they were sponsored by tobacco companies. Philip Morris was was a big company, and people smoked on them all the time, and, and they, they, you'd have these TV ads, and, and a lot of the TV ads were very good. Well, all right, there came a point in the 60s, I believe, where TV ads were no longer you could no longer advertise cigarettes on television in addition anytime you wanted to produce ads for cigarettes um like for for print media and stuff you you have to accompany them they have to be accompanied by warning labels telling you how bad smoking is if you buy a pack of cigarettes nowadays you will see again a warning label that tells you you know all the different problems that come with with cigarettes and, and that's that's what the government requires. In France, they are effectively now treating automobiles as if they were cigarettes. Here's the deal. In France, advertisements urging people to buy the latest Peugeots or Renaults are soon going to come with a warning urging viewers or listeners to walk or bike instead. So the car ads, here, go, go buy the latest Peugeot is going to have to have a, a, essentially a warning label saying, well, we want you to buy the car, but we also want you to take other forms of transit. New regulations stated to, slated to take effect in March. Automakers are going to be required to include messages on all car advertisements that encourage viewers to seek more environmentally friendly travel alternatives. Automakers will be able to choose between three messages – Okay, so you put the the ad out there, you run the TV ad or the radio ad, or you run the print ad. You have to also include one of three messages. Consider carpooling. You know, buy our cars, but consider carpooling. Buy our cars, but for short trips, opt for walking or cycling. Or buy our cars, but use public transportation for everyday trips. At the end of the message, advertisers must affix the hashtag move pollute less. Now, you put it in, in French, it sounds a little bit different, but it's move pollute less. If an advertiser fails to include the message, they can be fined up to about $56,000. The requirement applies to ads distributed on radio, television, in theaters, on the Internet, and on big screens, as well as in print ads. 
I, I guess at some point in time you go, look, I, I understand we want to encourage people to be more environmentally friendly. And, yeah, we, we want to encourage people to, all right, take public transportation. But is this really the role of the government to say to a business that is in the business of selling cars, oh, by the way, we're, we want you to put a warning label on the advertisement telling people that even though they should buy your car, they shouldn't use your car. Really? I think, again, I, I'm not giving up my citizenship in the good old U.S. of A. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds.